Good evening, everybody. Good. Well, that was pretty good. This area here. All right. Uh, let's get into Hebrews. And um, we're going to pick up tonight at verse 30. Let me get my notes all situated here. Yeah, Hebrews 11, verse 30. Yeah, let's see. I put it there we go okay so uh, verse verse 29 uh, we we covered and you guys watched the film and we've we've seen quite a bit of uh, oh does anyone need a Bible by the way Mike is back there holding them if you need one just raise your hand I'll bring it to you nobody nobody needs it they're all prepared thanks buddy so verse 29 we covered in the movie last week um, and you guys have seen with uh, Moses, and we've gone through that in, in pretty extensive order. So concluding kind of that portion of the Hall of Faith, let me just read to you verse 29. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So they crossed over the Red Sea, and then between verses 29 and verse 30, 40 years pass. There's a 40-year gap between verse 29 and verse 30. And a lot of you feel like we've been going through Hebrews 11 for 40 years. Um, now, after verse 29, uh, we're going to take a look at it in uh, Numbers. They send in 12 spies into the land where God's sending them. And, um, and so Moses is still living. They send in 12 spies. Let's turn to Numbers 13, if you would. Numbers 13. And let me... Yeah, turn to Numbers 13, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Amen. Lord, unless you build a temple, we labor in vain, and God, to, to do a study without asking the living, breathing word of God, which is Jesus, Holy Spirit, leading us into all truth. Lord, would you do a marvelous work in our lives, cause us to come alive to your living word. Speak to us tonight, we pray, according to your riches in Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, Numbers 13, we're going to pick up at, uh, let's go to verse 16. Now, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, uh, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south, go up to the mountains, see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahimam, uh, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, remember that's uh, David and Goliath, Anak are giants. Uh, so they, the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskel, where there uh, cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol. Um, because of the cluster which the men of Israel had cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh. They brought back word to them 
and to all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, which is what God had said. And then, it, then they said, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are all well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight so of the 12 spies only two of them are like let's do this Caleb and Joshua and so this event occurs 38 years um, there's a 38 year span between uh, so so verse 29 is 40 years and then they send the spies in two years after that so 38 years then continue until we get to uh, verse 30 in Hebrews 11. So the spies go in, 10 of the 12 spies say, fortified, uh, giants in the land, no way we can do anything. It is, it's impregnable. We, we, can't, we can't do this. It's exactly as God said, flowing with milk and honey. I mean, look at the size of the fruit and the, and, the, and the description in the Hebrew is these things are like softballs. They're just ginormous. And, and it's everything God said, but their comment is we can't take it. We cannot take the land. And Joshua's saying, yes, we can. Caleb's saying, let's do it now. And, and yet the people heed the voice of the other 10 spies. And so for 38 years, they wander the wilderness until we come to verse 30. And in verse 30 is where it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. So the very first kingdom that they take is, um, is Jericho. And let's, let's pick up Turn with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. So Moses is dead, and he's not allowed to enter the promised land. Now Joshua is going to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. But let's stop for a minute. What did Moses give us? There were two tablets. There we go. Good. Wednesday night and you're on it. What are the Ten Commandments? That, that's, that's the... No, no. You don't have to give me all Ten Commandments. What are they? The law. The law. Good shot. You're like Peter. <laughs> you're like Peter. Amen. The, the idea is the law can't get us in to a land flowing with milk and honey. The law doesn't give us the, the fruitful life in Christ. Only Christ can give us that. So the law can't bring us into that place where we have this ab abundant life in Christ. What is the law? The law is a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. The law is a rule to show us our sin. The, the law reflects that's the standard, and we measure ourselves based on that, and we see that we can't keep the law. Now, who's the only one who's been able to fulfill and keep the law? He's the fulfillment of the law, right? And so Joshua 
Yeshua, God saves. It's the, the, the Greek translation of Joshua is Jesus. His birth name is Joshua, Yeshua, God saves. And so the law can't take us in, but here's a typology. Christ can take us in to this abundant life. And so this is the picture. So now Joshua takes over for Moses, who's not allowed to go in, right? Moses isn't allowed to go in. The law doesn't lead us into an abundant life in Christ. It's Jesus who leads us in. And, and we, don't, we don't have a right relationship with God because we obey the law. We have a right relationship with the Lord because of what Christ did. We don't obey the law to be saved. We obey the law because we're saved, right? Amen? And his, his commandments aren't burdensome. He, he asks us to obey them, and he gives us by his spirit the power to obey those. Is there anyone who's ever been addicted that no longer is in bondage, that you now have the freedom not to drink where you once didn't have that freedom? Raise your hand. Is there anyone who's been bound by anything where you didn't have the freedom not to do it, but now through Christ, you have the freedom not to do it? Raise your hand. That is what Christ does. And how many of you say, well, I'm just going to drink a little less, or I'm, I'm only going to drink on Fridays, or I'm only going to do beers, or I'm going to actually cut, quit smoking by, you know, gradual, I'm going to go to cigars, then pipes, and, and, and every one of us doesn't do it, Right? but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he calls us into this promised land. He gives us the ability to overcome these giants. And quite honestly, any one of the addictions that we described as we raised our hand in our own heart, those were insurmountable. And you, you look at the, the, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous big book, I'm powerless. I'm powerless. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I cannot overcome this on my own. I have failed. Apart from Christ, even the Lord, the Lord said, apart from the Father, I of my own self can do nothing, Jesus said. Wholly dependent upon the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, but dependent upon and abiding with the Father. And that's the idea. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The victory belongs to the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by his Spirit, and so our reliance on Christ gives us victory in the land and we watch these giants fall. If we walk into the land on our own accord and we spy it out, it's too daunting and too overwhelming. And, and, and think about it. Picture anything right now that is so daunting, so overwhelming that there's no possibility of scaling that wall or conquering that, that enemy. There's no victory for us. And there isn't. And it's just those times where God's gonna ask us to do something quite absurd or as other people pronounce it, absurd. I think it's absurd that they would say absurd. But think about that. The Lord is going to give us victory by asking us to do something absolutely bizarre. And we're going to see this in a moment. But let's take a look at how bizarre it is in their first battle as they enter into the promised land. The first bizarre thing is Joshua takes over for Moses. Here's the bizarre thing. Are you ready? God calls Joshua to lead his people into the promised land, and he's 103 years old. I thought people would be a little more impressed with that. I'm at 52, and I'm thinking, I've got to wind this up a little bit. I, I'm, you know? And it's, it's amazing how exhausted you get after 50, and it just keeps exponentially getting harder. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, there's a few of you. And the eyesight, the font right now in front of me is like 25-point font. It's crazy. 
But I want you to think I don't wear glasses. And I don't, <laughs> you know. So he's 103 years old. That's pretty absurd right there. Now let's pick up Joshua 5, verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. So God drives up the Jordan. They cross over with a 103-year-old leader and they get to the other side and what's God going to ask him to do before they conquer the land? What's God going to ask him to do before they conquer the land? We're going to have weapons training. We're going to sharpen our swords. We're going to really, no, no, no. Watch what he does. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel. Again, the second time. I, I just don't think that's a great way to prepare for battle, quite honestly. And I'm glad they're sharpening the flint knives. That's a good thing. You don't want to use butter knives or anything like that. A second time, because all the ones that had wandered in the wilderness for these 40 years had not been circumcised. Now, it's one thing to be circumcised as a child. I don't have any recollection. Uh, I'm not going to talk about me, but uh, there's no recollection when you're young. But I'll tell you what. If church membership required circumcision, Yeah, see ya. I'm not doing it. I, I, there's, I'm going to Calvary Community. Bible teachers, I'm good with it. Not a problem. Right? This, this is, this, and, and how's a 103-year-old man going to rally the troops? Hey, everybody, we're going to go conquer them, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a little surgery. Oh, really? What? What kind of surgery? We're going to do, like, tattoos and stuff? No, 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 no. We're going to cut poor skin in this flint knife. And then the infection sets in and the misery and the fever comes along with it. And the guys are like, don't even come near. And wives are upset because the husbands are all edgy and work with me here. Are you feeling this? Are you getting the picture? This isn't the way to conquer an enemy. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. They even named it. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a lot of two million. And then you take... That's the men, and so two, that's, a, that's a mountain of, okay, there we go. So the hill, it wasn't a mountain, it was a hill. A hill of foreskins. What is crazy, look at you, you Meshuggah. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of the war, had died in the wilderness on the way. And after they'd come out of Egypt, for all the people who came out, had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way that they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. First of all, they've never fought a battle, and none of them have been circumcised, so they're all older. So they've got to get all the men of war, 13 and older, and they're going to circumcise them. There isn't, a, there isn't a man on the face of the earth who's like, I'm in. If to join the Marine Corps you had to go through this, We'd have a very small Marine Corps military. It, just trying to lay this out so you guys are picturing it. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised, and you, you realize this, that this is not pleasant. Um, where were we? Uh, it's sworn, okay, let's go to verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us. 
a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Um, Verse 8, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place in the camp until they were healed. Thank you, I'm glad, right? I don't know if they had sutures or stitches or how they worked that. It's kind of strange. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place shall be called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho, and they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. Unleavened bread, parched grain on the very same day. Then manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land in Canaan that year. Manna had been provided for 40 years. They'd walk out, there it is. And the, and the word manna means what is it? Nobody had any idea what it was. They don't know how it got there. They, it's, it's bread from heaven. Sweet manna of life. Glorious. Yeah. And, and they had this. And now the very first time they eat produce in the promised land, the manna ceases. So God says, all right, you fed upon my word and now it's time to conquer the land. You have this foundation. You know I'll provide. I'll go before you. And so the, the manna ends uh, that year as they enter into Canaan. Verse 13, came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he has a sword drawn in his hand. He's a commander of the Lord's army. He's got a sword drawn. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And I love the answer in verse 14, no. <laughs> No. Are you for us or for our adversaries? No. No. I, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm asking you a question, Joshua. Are you on my side? We always want God to do our bidding. We want him to fit into our box. God's not interested in, in, in doing our bidding. He wants us to be yielded to his purposes. He says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He's basically saying, I yield to your leadership. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy ground. Joshua did so. The idea is God is saying, I don't even so much as want the, uh, the, the sole of your sandals to get in the way of a relationship with me. And this idea that, that you are going to abide with me. We are going to be connected. You're going to rely on me. If we're going to enter into this land, you're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to be able to take down annex. You're not going to be able to take down any of these giants. You won't be able to take down walls. You won't be able to do anything apart from me. You can sit back on the other side of the Jordan. You can be paralyzed for another 38 years after the spies went in. You can believe the lies of the enemy that what you see with your eyes is overwhelming. And yet what he's saying is, trust me, rely on me, Let me lead, you follow, and we'll get this done. Turn to chapter 6, please. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel, and none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, and you shall go around the city once, and you shall uh, this you shall do six days. 
And seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of the ram's horn, shofars before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Now they had sent in spies, they met Rahab. And why did God honor Rahab? It's, it's going to be in, in verse 31 next week. The, the scripture says, by faith, the harlot, the prostitute, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to repeat it. By faith, the prostitute Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but she had received the spies with peace. What did you say? She didn't give up the spies? She hid them. And what is the opposite of truth? A lie. Did she lie? Oh, of course she did. Yeah, she did lie, didn't she? Did the Hebrew midwives lie? Yes. Did Moses' parents lie? Question for you. If you were in Nazi Germany in World War II and you had Jews in your home, would you lie to the Nazis to protect the Jews in your home? It's not that clean cut, is it? I, I would lie. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it would be a sin not to lie. Did Jesus fully observe the Sabbath? Well, no, not when there was somebody who needed to be healed. Not when his disciples needed to eat grain. What's my point? It's not that clean. You're going to have to work out all this. It's nice to have it in a little neat little box, isn't it? Right? No compromise. It's not always that easy. Will we ever be put in a spot like that? Yeah, sure you will. What do you do? This is, this is deep theology that you have to go beyond just the cursory reading. This is, this is, this is life. Rahab's honored. The midwives are honored, yes? Of all the Christian pastors in all of Germany, only one stands out whose writings have touched mankind for now close to 60 years, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I look at this and I see God gives us in the hall of faith challenges. We're going to see in the hall of faith, and I've done this as well, Samson. We've already covered this in great length. Anything moral in that man's life? No. Why is he in the hall of faith? I, I can't teach the story of Samson to our little kids. It's vile. And, and a question for you, as he's in a prostitute's bed all night and lies to the prostitute, and then the Philistines come in to kill him. How does he break the bonds? The spirit of the Lord. Not once, but twice. The third time after he told her about his hair and she cut his hair, the spirit of the Lord had departed and he didn't even know it departed because he didn't even know he had it. After he got into a gambling debt, how did he pay for the debt? He killed Philistines. How did he kill them? No, 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 no. That was another time. How did he kill the 30 Philistines for the 
articles of clothing. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. How'd he kill a thousand Philistines after they murdered his wife, jawbone of an ass, and more importantly, the spirit of the Lord. Anybody struggle with that? Hello? The spirit of the Lord comes upon this man? Judges 14.4 says what his parents didn't realize is God sought an occasion to confront the Philistines. So they choose Samson because he's willing to do what all of God's people are unwilling to do, and that's fight, right? And, and, and typically in Judges, as we've been going through Judges, as we went through it, it says that the people cry out and God sends a deliverer. No, it says the Philistines oppress, the people cry out, God sends a deliverer. But in Samson, nobody's crying out, nobody's praying, and God sends a deliverer. And, and this, is, this is where we're getting now in the Hall of Faith, is we've got some dicey people here. We're coming up to Rahab. We're coming up to Samson, Jephthah. This guy makes a, co- a covenant, a commitment to kill the first thing that comes through his door. What's the first thing that comes? His daughter. Human sacrifice? It's getting a little dicey here. I don't know if I like that. Why would he put it in Hebrews? Couldn't we just bypass those people? Christian theology and an understanding of the scriptures and the nature of God is deeper and it's not as simple as to put it in a little box. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word of truth goes deep. We want it to be simple so that we can look at it, but there's, there's challenges to it in the sense that where is that balance? Why is Rahab honored for lying? Why were the midwives honored for lying? We're going to study that next week, and that's a little teaser. We'll take a look at it. Anyone start, like challenged by that tonight? Okay, good. I'm glad. Where did I leave us? Um, oh, okay. Now, verse 30 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith. By faith the walls came down. No battering rams, no trebuchets, no, no nothing. Six days they walk around, the priests are in the front, and everybody marches, and they're blowing horns. And as they're walking around the walls, what is everyone doing? March. Imagine, and I've gone through this before, imagine the absurdity. Joshua, 103 years old. Okay, everybody, gather around. Come on, let's get around. I want to talk to the generals. What's the plan? Well, it's a good plan. It's unbelievable. You got this down? I mean, you've been with the Lord like Moses. You were up on the, he spoke to you. You got something solid for us? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. What is it? All right. Prepare yourselves. We are going to get the, the priests with the horns. They're going to go in front. Oh, as we attack. Kind of like bagpipes for the Scotsman. This is great now. We're going to inspire the troops and we're going to. No, no. Shush. They're going to march around with all of us. And then we're going to blow the horns. Yes, and then attack. No, no, we're going to go back to camp. 
Then we're going to do it the next day. Oh, just to really shake them up. No, shut up. I'm not done yet. Another day around, horns, back to camp. Another day around, horns, back to camp. Another day around, horns, back to camp. That's four, right? Okay. Another day, horns, back to camp. Another day, horns, back to camp. Now the seventh day. Number of completions. You ready? Oh, yeah. Somebody's got to take Joshua to Happy Tail. He's senile. Seventh day, seven times. In case they miss us the first six rounds, they can hit us the seventh. And no. And then we all blow the horns. Then the walls come down. Okay. <laughs> You're 103 years old, and we all just got circumcised. And this is your plan. Anybody? Do you see the absurdity in it? Anybody? Okay, good. The absurdity. The absurdity of it. God is independent of and superior to all laws of nature. God is independent of and superior to all laws of nature. And faith is going to be a challenge. By faith, the walls came down. By faith, the walls came down. An overwhelming obstacle. And every one of you raised your hand in relation to an addiction, and you're looking at one right here. There was no way around it. I had tried everything. If I could have done it on my own, I would have. I can't tell you how many times I said, I swear to God, I'll never do it again. I can't tell you how many times. And I was never able to do it apart from God. Only the Lord gave me the freedom not to. I was in bondage to do it. I never had the freedom not to do it until the Lord came in. And it was by faith. God, what would you have me do? Take me at my word. Spend time in my word. Cling to my word. Be comforted by my word. Lord, it's just words on a page. It's alive. It's living. It's breathing. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Hold to it. Trust me, white knuckle, he's faithful, he's faithful. And you just want to go down the list? Just go down the list. Noah, we've already covered it. Build an ark where there is no water. Preacher of righteousness for a hundred years, mocked entirety, the absurdity of it. Abraham, you're going to have a child at a hundred. The absurdity of it. Right? Moses, you're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Well, who do I tell sent me? I am that I am. Do you have another name? The absurdity of it. We can go on and on. Think of Naaman, the absurdity. Go dunk in the Jordan seven times. Thank God we've built a baptismal and and Calvary Chapel had the funds to do that with Chuck where it's nice because they were able to dam it up and it's a really lovely place in Israel where you can get baptized. Any other place in the Jordan, it is a cesspool. And, And they tell General Naaman to dip in this thing and he goes, I've got rivers in my in my country that are beautiful. Why this place? And you can imagine just dipping the first time. This is so stupid. This is so stupid. Oh, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. He's coming up with moss and he's got leeches on. This is so stupid. Seventh time he comes up, the scripture says that his skin was like that of a newborn baby. 
the absurdity of it. Imagine the disciples. They've got a Long John Silver Happy Meal. And we're going to feed thousands of people with a couple loaves of bread and some fish. And they all gather around. And Jesus gives thanks and begins to break it. And they go, you've got to send them away. There's no food here. And he says, you're going to feed them. They're like, okay. <laughs> and a little boy brings it. Look what I got. Jesus lifts it up, gives thanks, begins to break it, and get, start taking it to the people. And you can imagine the disciples going, oh my gosh, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. This is crazy. This is absurd. And they break off a piece and they hand it and they look down. Anybody? And they're finished. How many basketfuls? Every, every, every disciple walks back. This isn't stupid after all. By faith, the walls came down. It's the absurdity that you would overcome an addiction by nothing more than the word of God. I've given you my word. Can you give me a miracle? I'll give you my word. Miracles don't save. God's word does. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. But God, can you give me a sign? I've given you something better. I've given you my word. I've given you my word. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then he says this, and pay attention to it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the water, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please." and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word has this power. Not man's wisdom, but a demonstration of God's power by his word. We look at it and we evaluate it. And we say, there's no way. It's not gonna happen. That's when God loves to work. When you've come to the end of your resources and in my weakness, God's strength is made manifest. God's in the business of reducing us to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. You wanna see faith? come to a place where you're in desperate need of it. The Jordan's already sealed up. They are in Canaan. Everyone knows they're there and they've got an impregnable fortress in front of them and a body of water that they can't pass again because it's at flood stage. And God's saying, attack it. And they've all circumcised themselves in, in Joshua 5. Joshua 6, Joshua gives the stupid marching orders of marching around six times, seventh day, seven times, trumpet blowing, no weaponry. And, and the amazing thing is, you're going to wander in the wilderness of your sin, as, as all of us have done, with our own self-effort of trying to make our life happy, doing everything we can to manage it, and until we've exhausted every opportunity, it's at that point where we put our complete trust in him and then we occupy this abundant Christian life. You want victory? Take your hands off the wheel. Well, that's absurd. What are three things that are absurd to Christians? 
in regards to the world's view. And you want to talk about faith? Let's talk about some absurd things that the world looks at. First one is prayer. You're speaking and no one else is responding. Talking to a God that the world doesn't believe exists. Casting your cares on him as you speak to him in prayer. Here's another one, fasting. Doing away with food for the sake of connecting with the Lord in a greater capacity. And here's the one that's crazy absurd. Crazy absurd. Giving the first fruits of your income a tithe. Anybody find that absurd? You're like, most are like, no, I don't do it. That's a, it's a, <laughs> no, you, in obedience, you, you, you give a, right there. People go, do I tithe on the net or the gross? Whatever you want to be blessed on. What do you mean blessed? You can't outgive the Lord. This is the only place in the entire scripture that says, try me, test me in this. That's absurd. It's absurd. And yet this is what God has called us to. This idea of trusting him in the midst of all of these things. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And so they march around. The seventh day, they blow the trumpets and the walls come down. Rahab is spared. We'll cover her next week. And I want to read to you this. This is out of Romans 15. Verses four through six. Turn there with me if you would. Uh, Romans 15. It's all right. We'll start with verse four. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, which is now what we're studying here in Joshua, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Patience and comfort of the scriptures. So in 1 Peter, I think it is, it says, if a wife has an unbelieving husband, not by her word, but by her actions, as it says, Sarah, quiet and gentle spirit, was precious in the sight of the Lord, calling Abram Lord, whose daughters you are. So God says, you want your husband to be won over? Yes, yes I do. Don't say anything. <laughs> okay. That's absurd. Anybody agree with me? So I'm just, I, he, I, the Lord says, I'll take it. Trust me. My wife has perfected that verse. There are times, I'll, I'll share with you candidly, hiding prescription medication, using it. 
thinking I'm getting away with it. And I come to my wife after the Lord has so convicted me. I don't even know how to tell you. He just brought conviction. I didn't want to live in this lie anymore. My life was unmanageable. I wasn't trusting God. I wasn't reading my word or his word. I wasn't abiding in him. It was a train wreck. I'm snapping at the kids. It's awful. And I come to my wife and I say, I want to tell you something. I have to confess something. She says, I already know. Third shelf to the back. How long have you known? All along. You never say anything? Not my place. Had she said something, I would have put it somewhere else. There's nothing like being convicted by the Lord and taken out to the woodshed. And then to turn and realize that my wife knew all along my respect and yieldedness to her was unbelievable. And I turned to her and I said, how in the world did you do this and not want to leave me? And it basically boils down to this idea, it was absurd. God just told me to trust him. Now, granted, when I would be unruly and I'd be out of control in certain areas, she would call me on it. But she let the conviction bring me to the end of myself and say, God, help me. She didn't allow the family to be adversely affected. She protected the children. She did everything necessary. But I look at this and I think the absurdity of God saying, I don't want you to speak a word. Let your chaste conduct transform him. This took 40 years to bring these people to faith from verse 29 to verse 30. George Mueller prayed almost 80 years for a friend to come to Christ, and the man came to Christ 11 days after he died. I don't know about you, but I would have given up on the guy. Just saying. This Christian walk is way deeper than we imagine it to be. As we studied this last Sunday, this idea of ripping the roof off and lowering people at the feet, to what length would you go to bring someone to Christ? The absurdity of that. And I think this is where the Lord's challenging us. Do you want to have victory with an impregnable fortress that is stifling you entering into the abundant Christian life, that stands between you and a land flowing with milk and honey, where you understand what it's, what it's like to not be a ministry, but be a minister, where you're not taking from the body you're giving, where you're operating in the economy of God's grace, where you are pouring yourself into others because there's an overflow of your life from your innermost being is flowing torrents of living water that are saturating and touching people instead of drinking everything everyone else has? Do you want that? What's the impregnable fortress that's stopping you from entering into that abundant Christian life? And the question is, are you willing to trust God? And I venture to guess, as I knew in my own life, you know the answer of what's needed and the absurdity of it. The absurdity of going and confessing to my wife and being humiliated. Some of you don't think that's absurd. I do in my flesh, to give another human being the upper hand so they can tell you that they already knew 
The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. When you're honest with God, he's merciful with you. You know what honesty with God is? Surrender. Truthfulness, transparency. And it's also an endowment of power. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That is the beginning of God filling you. That very first beatitude is a foundational beatitude. You've got to get to bedrock. All the excuses go away. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God, I desperately need you. I'm powerless without you. I cannot enter in by my do's and don'ts. The law didn't bring us in. Moses didn't. Joshua did. Jesus, God saves. And he brought us in in holy dependence. The circumcision is an an expression of complete dependence. Circumcision, as we get to Romans, is a picture of baptism. It's, it's an outward expression of an inward commitment. We are wholly yours, God. Everything about our life is surrendered to you. What are you holding back? What's keeping you in the wilderness? What's, what's the fear of letting your life be in reckless abandon to Christ? And I, I bring us back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I close with this tonight. The man left a secure position at a seminary to go back to Nazi Germany knowing that he would lose his life. The absurdity of that. He plotted to kill Hitler. The absurdity of that. And yet name one other minister with the exception of Martin Niemöller who's remembered The entire church in Germany was responsible for the moral decline of a people because they stayed in the walls. And there aren't any deeper theologians in all the world than German theologians. And God used Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller. And that's why he's listing Rahab and Samson and Jephthah, and it begins with this idea that by faith, the walls came down. Faith is having great need and taking great risk. Let me repeat that. Faith is having great need and taking great risk. But here's the comfort. There's no risk in trusting God. I said earlier, God is independent of and superior to all laws of nature. It may seem overwhelming, but to God, it's as easy as opening an envelope on a Monday morning. It's nothing. And so you get to one verse, verse 30, and realize 40 years passed between 29 and 30. And the people were paralyzed because of a bad report of people only seeing with their eyes. And they wandered in disobedience. And God says, it's time to renew. We're going to have an outward expression of an inward commitment of your heart. Do you trust me? I do. Okay, then do this. You know how humbling baptism is in a public place? We do it out at the beach. And it's one of the most beautiful things because people go out in the, in the midst of a public and they associate themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They come up and they, they say, I'm ready. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to have this abundant Christian life where I'm a minister, not a ministry. I want to pour my life into people. And the water of baptism represents the Holy Spirit. And you hug people and you get it on them. Because from your innermost being flows torrents of living water. You abide and you trust in God. You trust in his word. And as the scripture says, 
that these things that have gone before, as we read in Joshua 5 and 6, and we saw in Numbers, the idea is it's for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And people see that. We take God at his word. And may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the picture for tonight.